Hey there, this is Carol Lloyd with Like a Sponge, with our series all about the American high school. Each episode, we explore one fundamental problem that plagues modern high schools and a school that is trying to fix it. At the end of this episode, we'll tell you how to learn more about transforming your high schools. We have new resources for educators and for parents. Our story begins with this 16-year-old named Carlos Campos, who has a strong belief. Because I, I have this thing where like, I believe in the good in, the good in everyone. Carlos has a positive worldview, not only about other people, but also himself. I would describe myself as friendly, ambitious, ambitious too. A junior in Salem Academy Charter School in Salem, Massachusetts, he remembers when he didn't have such a rosy perspective. When I first arrived, I'm gonna be really honest, um, I did not think I was gonna do great because like during elementary school, I wasn't like that smart of a student. He got in trouble for small things, and it made him frustrated and angry. Like one time, he got caught talking to a friend while waiting in line to enter the classroom. And I, I remember I was like really, like I was like I was super confused and like upset about it. I was like, oh, what did I do? Were you mad? Yeah. In other words, he was one of those students. One that teachers might say needed to work on his attitude and work ethic. But Carlos would undergo a transformation. And transforming is something Salem Academy knows well. Like a lot of charter schools dedicated to closing the achievement gap for students from under-resourced families, Salem Academy was very data-driven. Over half the students are students of color, and about 40% come from families that live below the poverty line. The staff was focused on helping the students who might not otherwise have succeeded in college become college ready. So they were always measuring themselves against the numbers, pushing to bring up their math scores, their graduation rates. Dean of Students China Anembo said the first inklings the school needed to change came in the form of a feeling. We were really focused on our academic side of things and really, really invested a, a lot of time and money there. And what we were seeing is we, we had excellent teachers. And when you would read our handbook or look at our mission, you're like, this is absolutely an amazing school. And somehow we were walking the halls feeling like, oh, something is really missing. This sense that something was missing the school had dedicated teachers, high standards. The students worked hard. Still, something wasn't working. So at the time, we had a, a really prescriptive response to behavior. You know, you had demerits that went to a lunch detention, that went to an after-school detention or a Friday and so on. Um, and so you would have students with oftentimes, you know, many detentions that they weren't even able to serve in a week. There were a lot of rules. That was how the school held students to high standards. The problem was that the rules seemed to be getting in the way of learning. There were just too many ways that a, a kid could get in trouble for something that wasn't really that big a deal. That's Ana Brea, Spanish teacher and curriculum team leader at Salem Academy. If a kid was particularly had a, a particularly difficult impulse control, for example, that kid could get a demerit for talking in class. They got a demerit. You wrote it on the board as you were supposed to. But you told the student because you were supposed to also tell the student. So the student is like, 
I wasn't talking. Okay, they were talking, but that's fine. You try to like not make a big deal out of it. But meanwhile, you already have to tell them in front of the whole class that they were talking and they already said they weren't talking. So now they have to stick to their defense and you have to stick to the fact that they were talking. So now they're not just talking, but they're talking loud at you. And then before you know it, well, that kid is now full in, in reaction gets up, walks out of the classroom. So now they've walked out of class, maybe called you a name on their way out. So now that becomes a big event, which may put them in suspension. Whereas maybe if you didn't need to write the demerit on the board or tell them stop talking, maybe you could have signaled them in some other way, more privately. Maybe all that whole entire scenario wouldn't have happened. Anna saw how the school's discipline policies, while very clear and seemingly fair, were undermining the very mission of the school. So it's just like a really a cycle that just wasn't really setting kids up for success. It was just not recognizing a lot of other factors, let's put it that way. Other factors included everything that happened outside of the classroom walls. And for students at Salem Academy, that could be a lot. Homelessness, family members dealing with addiction gang violence. For kids dealing with life-altering challenges, the rules could be a trigger for wholesale rebellion. But they even sparked the milder-mannered students, like Carlos. There's been a lot written about the so-called no-excuses charter school that attempts to do heroic things academically, like raise student test scores many grade levels in a single year by asking more of the students and more of the teachers. Strict discipline typically goes hand-in-hand with these aspirations. But a surfeit of research from all different fields suggests that punishment can impact learning, and not in a good way. Even if it's all designed with the best of intentions, really strict discipline can have unintended consequences. When schools mount this very hardcore response to students who act out or who just don't act responsibly, it can actually set kids up to fail. It's geared towards students who can come in and do what they're asked to do and keep their together for eight hours a day and have the resources to do that. So kids who can do that thrive. Kids who can't don't do so well. That's Keith Hickman. He works at the International Institute for Restorative Practices Graduate School, which trains specialists in what's become known as trauma-informed or restorative practices. As the executive director of Collective Impact, Keith is in charge of working with state departments of education to get them to adopt these practices. Because Keith works at a state level, he sort of stands outside the system, and he sees how schools are set up to control kids rather than nurture them. The way the institution of education was built, it wasn't built for human dignity, so to speak, if you know what I mean. I'm not judging and criticizing them, saying it wasn't built with this frame of how does one flourish and have well-being and human dignity in a space of learning. But in this moment when kids are becoming acutely aware of race and gender and disability and religion, and how all these identities influence how society looks at them, students are realizing how school discipline feeds directly into that. So... One of the big challenges is going on in schools that they're not ready for is students are becoming more and more bold in how they're expressing their identity. And some schools aren't ready for that. 
At Salem, the first step was acknowledging there was a problem. And as is really common at a lot of schools that want to change something big, the change at Salem came in the form of a consultant. So we had a consultant come in to talk about a student. And when we met with this guy, he started talking more about our school and our program. And he said, I think like the way you guys are talking and the way you're thinking about like changing things is perfectly aligned with what we want to do research on. And so he said, you know, I really encourage you to apply for this grant. The grant was to fund the process of becoming a model school for the Trauma and Learning Policy Initiative. It all started with a staff reading something known as the ACE study. You may have heard of it. It's been around for about 20 years, and it's actually a medical study. Doctors were trying to figure out why some groups of people had far worse health outcomes than others, even the ones who didn't seem to be at risk for disease. They ate right, they had access to good health care, etc., these doctors started studying something called Adverse Childhood Experiences, ACE. These include traumatic experiences like physical and sexual abuse or growing up in a household with violence or chronic mental illness or having a parent in prison. And what these doctors found was that they're, one, way more common than previously thought, and two, they're highly predictive of far worse health outcomes later in life. In other words, Kids who experience serious trauma are more likely to grow up to be chronically sick adults. And out of this research came this big realization. A lot of children are dealing with trauma, and trauma affects their brains, their bodies, and how they cope with everything. This opened up a powerful new concept in psychology, social work, education, called trauma-informed. In education, the idea is that if a teacher fully understands the impact of trauma on a child's mind, each interaction with a student will be different. Teachers can never know what a child is going through at home or even at school. So the act of punishing them for, say, not turning in their homework suddenly seemed deeply counterproductive. Salem teachers read the study, and it really made them pause. And so we said, if that is a study that is done on this population of people, and we know that we serve a more diverse population of students um, and a high population of low-income students, our percentage has got to be 67% or above for students who are coming to us with trauma. And this led them to bring in more training, trainings on the impact of trauma for the entire school staff. And it kind of flipped the script. There's the sort of the traditional school model, you break a rule, you must be punished for the rule breaking. That's Salem's Carolyn Herman from a great short film on the work Salem has done by the Trauma and Learning Policy Initiative. It's not the rule that's broken, it's the relationship that's hard. The staff started thinking differently about kids and their problems. Instead of sounding off about kids making their lives a living hell, teachers would try to pipe up and share little moments of brilliance. If you would walk into the staff room and someone was like, oh, you know, they were annoying today, or so-and-so is a bad kid, it would take, it, you know, we were saying it, it's, administration can say things, administration can say things all day long. Um, it's really, you know, up to peers. And so we then started seeing that 
coworkers were connecting with each other and correcting each other and and doing it in like a soft way where they're like, oh, I just saw that student and actually so-and-so was awesome in my class. They like nailed that lab, it was so great. And so they just started talking about kids in a different way and it really became unacceptable to talk about students in any other way. Not only did teachers change how they talked about the kids, but that talk became one of the big strategies for changing how the whole school worked. When we meet in our grade level teams, we actually talk about students in a way where we'll have the entire class roster and you know we'll have their strengths. Like where do they excel? What do they identify as their strengths? What, what excites them? What makes them happy? If the old model was about creating a well-oiled machine of orderly, successful kids, the new model is much more about the connections between human beings. Or in the language of educators, they were putting relationships first. We, you know, we really talk about how the best approach to teaching and learning is making sure that it's relationship-centered and based. And so you need to be able to create meaningful relationships with students inside and outside of the classroom. And if you're able to have like that quick little chit-chat outside of the room before they even come in, that student is like, okay, they care beyond calculus right now. All of this started to reshape the core beliefs of the staff at the school. We believe that all students do well if they can. And we believe that every sort of behavior we see communicates something. So if we're seeing a challenging behavior, we're saying, what are those lagging skills? Or what are those deficits? Like, what do they need to learn to then respond to whatever it was that created that challenging behavior? They also started asking students for more and more feedback. Do you have a trusted adult in the school? Who's your trusted adult? We look at all of that data and we have each grade level, you know, say, who do you see that these students are connected to? Because this is who they say that they're connected to. Okay, they say they're not connected to anybody, why? And all that student feedback, it started changing policies. In the film, China explained how some black students found a rule that banned headscarves was deeply unfair. Here's 11th grader Erica. I wore my scarf to school and then like, like my type of hair like doesn't really, it's not immune to this weather. I just like I shouldn't be having my hair like this sometimes and like I have to cover it. When the girls and I started having real conversations about what it means for them to get ready in the morning and what it means to be able to wear a scarf on some days that they want to, um, you know, I, I worked with them. We created a little committee, we looked at it, we took it to other administration, and they said, you know, of course, like we, this is what we do. This is why we listen to students. I've never seen like a school that actually took time until learning about their students. Like, that was like the first time I never, like compared to like my elementary schools, I never really had that same like relationship with teachers. Beyond loosening the dress code, there were other changes. We did away with some of the silly automatic detention for things like chewing gum or things like that. So once that whole thing went away, well, to begin with, they're more relaxed. That They're not sitting in their chair afraid that they're going to make a wrong move, you know? They're more open. And I think, generally speaking, our personal relationships with the students has improved dramatically. And they structured staff schedules differently to make room for talking about kids individually. 
we meet once a week in grade level teams. Every grade level meets together where there's a dean or an assistant dean, the principal, the counselor, and the team of teachers. And so we're talking about kids every single week in all different ways. And all these conversations shifted priorities. I think one of the things that educators are starting to really notice in the testing high-intensity environment is that joy matters. Uh, we call it the J factor, the joy factor, and happiness matters. That's teacher Denise Granis. You know, you want students to really be able to bring their whole selves to school and, and to not hate it. According to China and Anna, walking the halls looks different today, and Carlos agrees. In the past, he may have gotten into trouble and been less academically engaged. Now he has close relationships with several adults in the building and takes his studies seriously. I think what's really changed is that teachers are becoming more like, I wouldn't say like parents, like you can talk to almost every day, but like, they're becoming more like your older brother, your older sister, you know, like, like if you need to talk to them, like they're there for you. I think that kids are happier. It's not like no kids are ever getting in trouble anymore, you know, why we didn't like all collectively go into uh, nirvana. You would see that there are deeper relationships beyond just you're my English student. You would see students supporting each other in their learning with like lots of snaps. You would see teachers holding students to really high behavioral and academic standards. You would hear less of the negative and a lot of the positive celebrated. We don't have as many kids in detention because we don't have as many things for them to get detention for that were unrelated to their learning, right? We still have expectations for students of things they can and can't do. It's more about cultivating and having those meaningful relationships with students. Carlos is a different kid than he was five years ago. His academic pursuits have shifted, he takes them more seriously, and he has a dream for his future. I'm really, really into photography right now, and I really, like, really want to take that seriously. My goal is to go to a college that, that offers journalism and also has photography as a minor. My biggest dream is like National Geographic, that's, like, that's, that's my jam. When talking about his future, Carlos gets really animated. He's focused and ambitious. But it's his belief in people's fundamental goodness. That's what I keep coming back to. Because I, I have this thing where like, I believe in the good in, the good in everyone. What a gift that is. And I can't help but wonder if it's a coincidence that this belief from a kid who used to get into trouble and now cultivates positive relationships with everyone he meets, is the very same belief his teachers discovered too. Like a Sponge is a production of Great Schools and was made by Jessica Yarmoski and me, Carol Lloyd. Our audio engineer is Christopher Ferreira. Editorial support from Jessica Kelman and Charity Ferreira. This story was based on reporting by Meg McIntyre, who wrote a great piece about trauma-informed teaching for great schools. Special thanks to Carlos Campos, China Anembo, Ana Brea, Salem Academy, Keith Hickman, Todd Rose, Transcend Education, Springpoint Schools, and the Trauma and Learning Policy Initiative. This season was made possible by a generous grant from the Barr Foundation. 
This is part of a big project all about what high school is and what it can be, with articles, videos, tools in English and in Spanish for parents and educators. If you're a parent and you're choosing a high school for your child, or you want to help your high school make improvements, or if you're an educator and you want stories of real high schools that are solving some really stubborn problems and you want ideas and inspiration, check out greatschools.org slash transforminghighschool. We're adding new resources every week. Also, we would love to hear from you. If you have a moment, share your thoughts by giving us a review wherever you get your podcasts. We learn a ton from hearing from our listeners. 